right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 264. With that number, we're going to give a shout out to the oldest player to score a goal for the U.S. Women's National Team. And no, it is not Christy Rampone or Carly Lloyd. It is Christine Lilly, who scored a goal in May 2010 at the age of 38 years and 264 days. So Lloyd Scott, you know, at least another year or so, she she wants to try to beat that record. Anyway, speaking of U.S. Women's National Team and the recent games, uh, today's episode focuses on both sides of the recent Victory Tour matches versus South Korea. First, I spoke with John Halloran, who's based in Chicago, writes for Equalizer Soccer and also American Soccer Now. He was at the final Victory Tour game in Chicago at Soldier Field. Uh, We'll get his thoughts. And then I spoke with Hal Kaiser, who used to do a lot of writing for Keeper Notes. He is the man behind all the South Korea info that you heard coming from the announcers on both of the broadcasts, whether it was something JP, Deli Camera said, or Ali Wagner, or Julie Foudy. If it was about South Korea, Hal probably helped him find the information. So we talked about how, or rather why, this Korea team that faced the USA is a very different Korea team from the one that we saw during the Women's World Cup. And one last thing before we move on to the chats, um, doing women's soccer conference, my Wosako, uh, again for the 2019 NWSL championship weekend. So Wosako will be on Saturday, October 26th. You can find all the information you need at keepernotes.com. I wasn't able to organize a Wosako last year in Portland, but I have done this event before the 2017 final in Orlando and the 2016 final in Houston. It's a fun, casual afternoon the day before the NWSL championship um, open to fans of all types. So go to keepernotes.com and check it out and think about making a whole weekend, just making it a women's soccer weekend in Cary, North Carolina. All right. Enjoy these chats. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with John Halloran from American Soccer Now. John, you have the privilege of being in Chicago at Soldier Field for the last Victory Tour match for the U.S. Women's National Team and Jill Ellis's final match as head coach. So, I mean, how did you survive all the brouhaha with just everything coming around that? Like, I, I felt like I was drowning in the hashtag, thank you, Jill. Um. You know, honestly, I didn't, I didn't really think much about it till after the game, but uh, which obviously was was pretty emotional for her and and for U.S. Soccer's support staff. I think I was just watching the game, uh, and you know, even though it was um, a one-one game, I thought it was a pretty entertaining game. Um, hit the post a couple of times. Looked like they had a late winner. Uh, it was a physical game, so it was definitely fun to watch. And a really great crowd in, in, in Soldier Field, you know, and, and nice to see this game. Well, maybe maybe nice isn't the right word, and you can tell me how you think about it, but nice to see this game scheduled for Soldier Field and not automatically put at SeatGeek Stadium in Bridgeview. Yeah, and I think it was, you know, it's kind of similar to what happened in that first uh, that first game at the Rose Bowl where, you know, it was a, a big crowd and bigger than what would have 
fit into an MLS stadium, but then it also kind of looked small. So if you were in Soldier Field, it, you know, just because that's such a bigger stadium, but 33,000 is, is, yeah, I mean, that's about 13,000 more than would have fit into SeatGeek if they had held it out in Bridgeview. Plus, you get to take the train, which is much nicer than having to drive down to Bridgeview, which is in the middle of nowhere. And you're right on the lake, and oh, there's all kinds of things to do. And uh, it looked like it was pretty nice weather, especially compared to the heat in, in North Carolina for the game a few days before. Yeah, it was gorgeous. And, um, yeah, I mean, Soldier Field is right there on the lake. So even from the, the hallway outside the press box, you've got a nice view of the lake. And um, all, the, all the Red Star staff was there trying to uh, push that semifinal game, too, and everybody was enjoying the weather and, a big celebration and it was uh you know it's always nice to have a game in your hometown too well and i like that it's kind of the home of u.s soccer an nwsl city and you can also you know watch that game and pull up memories of the the 1999 game you know that that was played there there's just a lot of you know soldier field history even beyond you know women's soccer but your thoughts on on the lineup i mean obviously with uh, the Victor Tour falling in the end of your cell regular season, a lot of what Jill had to do here was just really manage minutes, right? And you've got some players who are dealing with injuries or coming back from injuries. Um, you know, they did call up Casey Short um, and Andy Sullivan, right? Yeah, and Andy Sullivan um, as some replacement players. But But what was your thought when you saw the lineup? Well, uh, you know, it was it was interesting with Casey Short getting called in because she started. Um, yeah, you know, which it's, it's fascinating to me because she grew up here. And so I, I, you know, I imagine as a kid, she, you know, grew up watching the bears and playing in soldier field. And then this is the first time that the U S has played there since she's been a part of the program. So she got to come in and start a game. I, I wonder a little bit, uh, if it's bittersweet, you know, her not actually being part of the world cup squad and probably being a last cut in that regard and then being called in to celebrate you know, the, the win that she unfortunately wasn't a part of. Um, but yeah, she got the start, which was nice. Um, and, uh, Julie Ertz started, which I don't really know how she's still standing at this point. Um, she actually got subbed out. I was like, finally, finally, she gets a break. Yeah. And our, our friend Claire Watkins had pointed out, um, a stat that I hadn't been aware of about how often she had played 90 minutes and how long it had been since she'd played a game and been subbed out, as you mentioned, um, right. whether it was club right. or country. So she, she's right. a machine, and uh, it's almost like you, you almost have to stand in front of her to try and let her body recover. And uh, I actually heard, I don't know if you saw on Twitter today, that was part of the discussion that she's the only U.S. player that didn't come right back to the team, even though Rory gave him the week off. Um, they basically had to keep her away so that she'll rest. <laughs> well, we've even heard Mark Parsons say that. He's like, I've tried to give them days off and they won't, you know. Yeah. Um, but I guess I guess that's a good problem to have in, in, in some cases. But, yeah, I was pleased that we saw a lot of rotation in, in all of these Victory Tour matches because there's not a lot at stake. Um, I know it's hard for these players at the end of a really long year when you look at how many games they've played, not only for the national team, but, you know, you add in their club, you add in uh, travel, um, you know, what what are you playing for at, at this point, especially when you've got the two games 
in in four days against the same opponent. I, th- I think that second game against the same opponent, that must be really challenging to get up for. Yeah, and I think the, the tricky part about the victory tour this year is that you know that a new coach is coming in. So not only right. are you are you not really experimenting with the roster, because if this was if this was let's just say that Jill was staying on, then yes, you're still bringing in largely the same roster because you're celebrating the World Cup win, but you might be able to start picking up clues based on who she's starting, who she's not, in terms of who might be looking at a potential switch, uh, or if she's changing the lineup, is she changing the tactics? Is is, is she going to try to add a wrinkle? Because, you know, there were changes in between 2015 and 2016. There were changes to the roster. There were changes to the starting lineup. There were changes in the tactics. The formation changed even slightly between those two. We have no clue what's going to happen at the Olympics, even though that's only 10 months away, because we have a new coach coming in. So they're literally playing games using up these opportunities uh, that a a new coach might have to experiment with new players, experiment with a new formation or new tactics, um, which are really being played in nothing other than a a game that the fans are there to enjoy. Right, right. As opposed to when we had uh, Pia Sundaga step down after the Olympics in 2012, I think she coached their first two victory tour games and then the rest was, Jill Ellis as interim until Tom Sermani took over. Um, but of course that's a different point in the cycle because post Olympic, you've got some downtime now, 2015, this time at this point in 2015, the two October victory tour games, we did see Jill call in some new players like Gina Lewandowski, Emily Sonnet, Stephanie McCaffrey, um, you know, and then we saw some more in, in, in December, but yeah, it's, it's like, they're almost, they're almost wasted games. I mean, I'm so happy one that the victory tour was shorter than it's been in the past because there's no benefit to the success of the team in 2020 or to the general health of those 23 players to add six more games in late November, December, right? Cause that's really where you'd have to put them or five more yeah. games, if, if, if you tried to equal the number of um, matches from 2015. And I originally, the victory tour was only going to be four games. The August 3rd one at the Rose Bowl was a was a late ad. Um, so I'm glad that it's like, okay, at least, at least it's ended. We know in November it's new coach, ostensibly, could be an interim coach, who knows. Um, and it's, they can call up whomever, so you can give some players rest, you can experiment with a lot of things and you have two very different opponents i was so pleased to see that the november games you've got sweden and costa rica you're not playing a game twice playing a team twice yeah. you know the other so, thing these, go ahead i was just gonna say these players are exhausted i mean you can see it on the field you can see it off the field and and you know half of them still have the nwsl playoffs coming up too Right, right. I was kind of thinking like like I foolishly thought in 2015 when you had the that weird FIFA window that was between the semifinals and the final for NWSL. And I was thinking they shouldn't call up the players who are going to the final. Right. You know, and, and they did. And I understand why 
a coach might want to do that. I also understand from a financial perspective why the player wants to be called up. But yeah, we're still kind of, you know, experimenting with how all these pieces fit together when it comes to the NWSL schedule, the international schedule. Um, And the more I think about a victory tour, and I've seen so many victory tour matches over the years, whether on TV or in person, the more I think about how it's such an unusual, specifically American thing, because think about it. If a European team wins the women's world cup, how are they going to do a victory tour? Because their FIFA windows are already full with uh, qualifying for Euro 2021. Yeah. Right? There are no, there are no open dates. Um, obviously a Brazilian team or an Asian team, you know, could do, uh, you know, what the U S is doing because we just kind of merge our world cup qualifying into, you know, a handy little three week tournament and don't do any other major things. But it, I, I, and I think too, like if the U S men ever won the world cup and they want to do a victory tour, it would be very, very difficult, almost impossible to, to schedule something like, like we've scheduled for the women. So it's, I, I think we've, when I say we, I guess I mean U.S. soccer and the culture. We've accidentally created this monster of of victory tours. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> Long pregnant pause from John. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we mentioned this. It's just, it's really tough. If, if you enjoy analyzing games, if you enjoy analyzing roster choices, tactical choices, lineup choices, formation choices, these games just give you nothing. This is, it's all personal interest at this point. And it's not even like a preseason game where, you know, there's still tactic, tactics involved or the coach is trying out uh, some rookies or, you know, a new signing. It's not even like that. Right. So it's just, it's like going to a concert. It's, you're just there to watch a performance. There's no, and again, it can be great. You know, I think one of the things we saw, I don't, I, I, I don't think it's something a lot of people needed to be reminded of, but Carly Lloyd can still play. Carly Lloyd is still very competitive. Carly Lloyd still wants to be out there. And, you know, we saw that her, her scoring the U.S.'s lone goal, and it looked like uh, scoring the game winner at the end too. So, um, you know, you can pick up little stuff like that. But then you also see Rose Lavelle's ankle, go 90 degrees the wrong direction and you think oh my god if she suffers this horror injury in what is essentially a glo- i mean not even really an exhibition this is a glorified exhibition this is you know it, it it has literally no meaning that would be pretty terrible so this is a, this is i think something for the fans it's something for the players to you know, capitalize on, on the moment. Cause they have to do that to an extent. Right. I mean, these, the way that, that this is st- still set up is that, you know, uh, these women have to take advantage of the limelight when they have it. And it's these short windows. So this isn't begrudging to them, but just from a pure soccer standpoint, um, there's not a lot you're getting out of these games. Well, and, and that's why I was really impressed when I heard that part of the current CBA was that they fought to have fewer Victor Tour games when they know that means, you know, less, you know, that's fewer games that they're getting paid for. But 
you know, they're look they're looking at the big picture. And and I also look at those players on the outside, like you mentioned, Casey Short. Hey, I'm glad that there's a game like this for her to get a chance to play and for Andy Sullivan to get a chance to play because, you know, those those are minutes that the new coach will see and, you know, at least gives them some more, uh, you know, s- some more time to, to state their case where obviously whatever coach comes in will already have plenty of information on the 23 that played, you know, in, in the world cup. So, you know, and, and for um, Ashlyn Harrison, 80 French to get more caps. <laughs> For no other reason than to see backup keepers get some get some minutes. That's huge, you know. Right. So, yeah. So, yeah. It's this wasn't this wasn't uh, you know our, our our favorite games in terms of friendlies. But I did like this one specifically in that Korea kept it exciting. Um, they are a different team than than who was at the World Cup, you know, in in the summer. You know, interim manager, a lot of changes. Uh, so it was at least, you know, exciting to watch. Um, I would always take a game like that over U.S. playing Haiti and winning 8-0 and getting absolutely no competition, right? Like no no problems to solve, no challenges, no, you know, the, and that and say you put a new keeper in, in goal and they never even face a shot on goal. So at least, you know, this was competitive in, in, in that respect. Um, but looking ahead, John, we've got Chicago hosting another big game uh, in a little, little less than two weeks. Chicago Red Stars getting their first regular season, no, sorry, not regular, first playoff game uh, at home since 2015. Since that game. That game. Yeah, that that's game. Burned, it, burned it in the brain of every Chicago Red Stars fan of giving up, <laughs> what, three goals in 25 minutes or something? Yeah, Amy Rodriguez. Uh, <laughs> At a field day that, uh, that <laughs> but it's a whole new Chicago Red Stars. It's a very different goalkeeper. Um, but I, I do like that if you think back to 2015, that was just their what second match at that venue. You know, moving out of uh, the turf situation yeah, at St. Benedictine. Yeah, it might have been like their third uh, or fourth if they. I think maybe they had played a doubleheader or something before that. Right. But you're right. They, right. They only played right. That they played there the last regular season game and then the playoff game that year. So um, you know, what what are you thinking? Uh, looking at this match, I mean, do you have a preference uh, for the regular season to finish with the uh, Portland or the Rain in third? I mean, who do you want Chicago <laughs> to host in that semifinal? You know, if you got to I pick. Think- I don't know. I, I really don't because the the tricky part I think for Chicago is that Portland has Chicago's number. Um, Chicago struggles against Portland every single time they play, but they might not have Lindsey Horan. I'm not, you know, I don't know if we're 100 percent sure on where she is health wise. Right. Um, that game's two, you know, I guess not two weeks away, a week and a half away. So you know, there's certainly a possibility that she's back. Um, on the flip side, you've got the rain who with with Vladko, he always seems to kind of wait in the weeds for teams, and then when he needs the win, then he pulls out whatever wrinkle he needed um, to, <laughs> to, so that's a great way to describe it. Well, I mean, you think about like what he did in his two championship years, 
you know, in in beating Seattle, even though Seattle was a, was a better team in the regular season, or um, even even kind of doing the same to Utah a couple of weeks ago. He's just he just seems to be able to pick his moments really well, and I would imagine yeah. that there is something over the course of the season, whether it was when the rain were playing Chicago or whether he saw on film that he has seen something that he is going to come in with, with, you know, again, some wrinkle that Chicago is not expecting and, and try to throw um, a wrench into, into the Chicago's plans because, you know, Chicago, the probably arguably the best game of the year that they played this year was when they went out to Seattle or Tacoma and I think beat them four nothing and, and had one of their best games of the year. Um, yeah. I don't expect that to be, if it's the rain, I expect that to be an extremely tight, tight game. Um, it is Especially when you think of who they've, who they've um, acquired in, in the tail end of the season with Rosie White and Rebecca Quinn and Lydia Williams is coming off the injury list. And, you know, now you've got Rapino back. It's a, it's a different reign. Yeah. And yeah. And especially Rapino, like one of the only players able to get, you know, kind of an extended rest there in that period between the world cup and the playoffs, you know, because of that injury that she had um, probably a big advantage for her to, to be able to come in fresh here at the end. In yeah. Chicago, Chicago has this weird thing where they they're now ending up with three weeks off between their last regular season game. I know. Like, you don't want almost a month off, and you have to wonder if they're going to be rusty um, in the first fifteen twenty minutes of that game. Well, do you know if Rory Dames has any plans for at least some some scrimmages or you know what? They were adamant after the last regular season game and not just Rory, like, you know, we talked to all the players before we talked to him and all the players were like, we already have a plan. We already know exactly what we're doing and which days we already know, you know, I guess the originally the plan was that the, the national, I think it was that the, the non-national team players got last week off and the national team players were going to get this week off. And then they were all going to come back um, together for that final week. And apparently that, shifted gears like i said it sounds like three of the or four of the five are already back in market and training um but um you know again they were adamant that they had this mapped out well ahead of time so at least it's something that they didn't just notice they they've obviously known about this the whole season it's just you know a weird quirk in the schedule and i think as long as you can attack it you know that way of like no we know what we're doing you know that's that's probably the best attitude to to go into it with well, it's been, I, I'll, go ahead i was just gonna say it's been so bizarre with them like um two i think it was two years ago they were playing out in portland at the end of the year and they decided to sit their starters and then and then christian press had yes. something at the game and that became like a huge controversy um about whether they should have rested certain players before the playoffs or not and then I think it was last year where they were on the road for like the last five weeks um, at the end of the season. So they were traveling constantly heading into the playoffs. So they, they have not had the best luck in terms of the schedule for sure. Yeah. And I think in general, the, the schedule has been so problematic. I think for almost every team in some way, 
Um, and I think a lot of it derives from we still have an odd number of teams, right? So I'm right. I'm hoping that for 2020, we just see one expansion team. So you've got 10 teams. That solves half of your scheduling problems, right? It's never going to be perfect for, for everybody. Um, and of course, this year you had Portland not being able to play a home game till June, which means they ended up having a backloaded home schedule. And then it throws everybody else's schedule off too. And, you know, we still have teams that, that have limited access to, to their home fields, but yeah, it all, it, it all does come into play, but I would have to think for Chicago in this instance, like um, there's got to be an edge to playing at home to, to having earned a home semifinal for the first time in four years. Yeah. And I, I, I would bet if I had to guess right now, I'd bet that they're going to pull maybe 10,000 fans for this game. And, you know, that would be huge. That would be huge for them. You know, you're looking at games where maybe they have 6,000 on, on a really good night. Um, they hit 17 after the World Cup. But this, there, there has been a major push among the club. And they were out there in force. I, I took, uh, I shared a picture of Arnhem, the owner, Arnhem Whistler, even out there talking to fans as they were coming in. They were trying really hard to recruit people. Uh, you may have seen in the last 24 hours, uh, our friend Meg Linehan started this this movement to buy people tickets if they want to go, which kind of exploded. There uh, you know, looked to be about a dozen other people jumping in on that and offering to buy tickets. So it looks like there's going to be a major push to put a good a good crowd in the stands for this game too. Yeah, I've I've done that in the past too. Like, hey, if you want to support this, but you can't go, I'll find the butt to put in your seat. (laughs) You know, um, kind of like with you know, kind of like the secret thing. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. I'm just I'm excited to have. I mean, I don't want to be unfair to Portland because I know Portland fans don't want to hear this, but I, but I'm excited to see the semifinal locations move around a bit, right? Um, well, that, you know, and, and and to see some different matchups. That's exactly what somebody said. Somebody told me this weekend said, "I just want to see, you know, Chicago and 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 the rain in the final, or you know, the the rain, yeah, because they just don't want to see." Portland, North Carolina. Yeah, yeah. It can't be the same thing every time. And this is true for any sport. It's like people end up losing interest if it's the the same thing every time, you know. So, well, so what are you going to be doing this this final weekend of the regular season without a Chicago game to cover? I am taking my bye week and uh, traveling out to to the desert for a few days, so... I'm going to enjoy some warm weather. That's a nice plan before winter hits. Yes. Well, yeah, the, the health <laughs> of the Well, last question for you, uh, John. Who who do you think from the Red Stars should be under consideration for NWSL Best 11 this season? Well, I think Casey Short's the first. I mean, first ballot, don't you? I mean, she, I would say she's up for defender of the year, or at least should be. Um, yes, definitely. You know, Kerr is an easy choice. Um, I can't, I, you would know better than me. I think she's at 17 now, 18? 18, yeah. Um, she's having a terrific season. 
a little further down, I think maybe you could look at Yuki Nagasato. She's had a very good season. Um, and obviously Julie Ertz has been, has been terrific. The one that'll never get it, but has, has, other than maybe short has probably had the best end to end season is Sarah Gordon. Um, you know, but again, she, she still doesn't have the type of name recognition that, that would be needed to, to kind of push her over the top, but she's, she's probably been the biggest surprise of all. Well, and I'm so glad you mentioned her because it, it, it makes me think we need a couple of more, uh, end of your cell, end of the season award categories, like breakout player of the year or, yeah. you know, something like that, because, yeah. When you look at her numbers um, and how huge she was for the team this year, and here's someone who came out of a not a big name soccer school and as, as a single mom has just, you know, stuck with it and stuck with it and earned her way and, and to have a year like, like this year where you're that much more valuable because, hey, your team is missing Julie Ertz and Tierna Davidson and, and Alyssa Nair for the World Cup, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah. I'd, I'd love to well, see a couple more awards added. And I think it's like if, if you had asked anybody or if you had said to anybody, hey, at the end of this year, Sarah Gordon will have had a better season than Katie Naughton or Aaron Wright. They would have, <laughs> told, they would have laughed. Had, they would have laughed. Yeah. Yeah. No, really good point. So we'll end on that with uh, suggestions. We're, we're looking for suggestions for a Sarah Gordon award name. Um, but John, thank you so much for for taking the time to talk about the game in Chicago and of course the upcoming NWSL semifinal. And I, I hope you enjoy the warmth before the, the Chicago <laughs> winner takes you down. Yeah, me too. Thanks. Jen Cooper, the keeper, here with her former partner in Warsaw Crime. That would be, of course, Hal Kaiser, the semi-retired Warsaw beat reporter. Right, Hal? What, how, do, how would you title yourself I mean, right now? I, I, well, I guess that's you a can good check out question, anytime Jen. you like. I'm, you I'm can unre- check out anytime I'm, you like, but you can never leave. Is it, right, I'm, I'm, unre- I'm unretired. I mean, officially, I unretired this year. However, work has kept me from actually being able to do anywhere near as much or, or really since about May, anything at all. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, real job, my real job. Unfortunately, I can't make a living off of being a Woso reporter. So it's, it's like you're, you're on the, you're not on the season ending injury list, but you're like on the D45 list that keeps getting extended. Exactly. You got it. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Good yeah. They, they, they keep finding new injuries for you. So. <laughs> but, yeah. But I was so excited to see that you got to be heavily involved in the two recent um, U.S. Women's National Team games, not on the U.S. side, but of course on the South Korea side, because as some people know, but I bet a lot of people don't know, you've got some pretty deep roots when it comes to Korean soccer. Um, Yeah. So you ended up helping both broadcast teams, both JP and Allie and Ian Dark and and Julie Foudy with their, their research on the team, because... The Korean team brought what thirteen players who were not part of the World Cup squad. They brought. Let's see. They ended up with because uh, Yeoman Ji got injured in camp before coming over. So they brought twenty three players, of which memory serves eleven were on the World Cup squad and twelve weren't. 
So that's that's a lot of new players. It's not easy to find and, and new meaning unfamiliar to like JP, who obviously called a lot of the Korea games yeah. in the World Cup. But that's players that hey, he hasn't done research on them. They're not gonna know. Um right. you can't always find, you know, the information you need to find, certainly not in English. Um so you got to be a conduit for them of like, hey, here's here's why these people were called up and this is what the interim coach is planning. But first, I- explain how you got into following uh, Korean soccer. That's a that's a very good question. I've, I've asked myself that a few times as well. Um, you know, I, I so like I'm, I reference I have a, a real job outside of uh, outside of the soccer world and it used to be in the corporate world and. Back in what 2000, I was dispatched to Korea to work on some energy acquisitions, and um, was only supposed to be there for a really short time, like a few weeks. I ended up being there for like 18 months. Um, huh. Met a woman, got married. Um, <laughs> so you know, so so I have a Korean wife, and then we we went around the world, and then went back again, and lived there for another five years or so. So. Um, so, you know, there was that connection from being married into a Korean family. Um, and then that combines with um, with with my soccer interest, of course. And then layering on top of that, you know, if, if you if you follow me and in, in my coverage and writing and, and whatnot over the years, I'm never really that interested in writing about stuff that like everybody else does. Right. So like and with the dash, I mean, interviewing Carly Lloyd. Uh, you know, the famous U.S. national team players and whatnot, that never really excited me. I always wanted to interview the player that, like, nobody knew anything about. Um, Or, like, Olympic qualifying four years ago, you know, I was the guy who was the only person in the press conferences with, you know, the Guatemalan coach and and Guiana, and I got really Yeah. Oh, you you got so much love from the Guiana fans. Yeah, yeah. So... So that so that you know sort of naturally extended over to Korean women's soccer because even I mean even now I can go I I did it this summer I was on a business trip to Korea and talking about the women's World Cup with somebody and a Korean guy and he was like there's women's soccer <laughs> <laughs> for real I mean I'm dead serious he said is there women's there's women's soccer I said yeah and you have a team and you have one of the best players in the world Ji So Young and They'll go, oh, yeah, I think I've heard that name, G. Sonyeon. She plays for Chelsea, right? Yeah. So, um, and then, of course, U.S. audiences know nothing about them. So, if you combine all three things together, like that drew me like a moth to a flame to know everything and absolutely, you know, all there is to know about the, the domestic league over the years and the national team and whatnot. So, in result, like it's like trivia, you know, you're like you're, you're a trivia expert in one thing that's, pretty useless except to you <laughs> except for you know every couple of years um korea comes to the u.s to play or you have the the uh the world cup this summer where korea was in the opening match and suddenly everybody needs to know something about korea and lo and behold you're the only one who does it's a low bar but you're the only one who does and so i've had the good fortune to get involved with um going back to 2017 the, the korea visit here I mean, every broadcast um, on on ESPN and Fox Sports um, when Korea has been involved. Well, and one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you for this episode was to kind of um, balance out. Uh, you know, obviously the U.S. is going to get covered pretty heavily because hey, we're in yeah. the U.S. and you know that, that that totally makes sense. But I wanted to balance out that I think a lot of casual fans or maybe newer fans 
would be thinking, why didn't we pummel this team, especially when this team didn't get out of their group at the World Cup? And, you know, my knowledge of South Korean soccer is nowhere near yours, but I know that, you know, hey, they made it to the round of 16 um, in 2015. They've been a contender before. I mean, I, I think about that last match before the World Cup in 2015, which was U.S. versus South Korea at Red Bull Arena, and they held the U.S. scoreless. You know, yeah. it, it's like, the, and, and, and Ji Soo Yun playing in Europe, you know, it's like, we know there's, there, there's talent here. So talk a little bit about why the team didn't have a great World Cup and where they are now. Okay. Well, the, the former manager, Yoon Duk Yo, who was managing the team since 2013. So he was there in 2015 and, you know, did an okay job at the time. Um, the buildup to 2019 was like insane. I mean, for all the complaints that fans had of, of Jill Ellis, you know, using different players out of position or, you know, calling up new players and whatnot, there was no rhyme. You could go back to like mid-2018 and there was no rhyme or reason to what he did. He called up a whole bunch of players, was playing a whole bunch of players consistently for a while. And all of a sudden you get to training camp for the World Cup and he calls up completely different players who hadn't been involved um, for, you know, a year or two. Uh, some some veterans. It was like he 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 dipped into the pool of youth slightly, and then decided at the last minute. Oh gosh, I don't know if I want to use all these young players who've done so well up until now. Let's just call up a bunch of old veterans, uh, and particularly <laughs> in, in the back line. And then you know he used so there were, you know, and then you could go to like the back. The back line was a hot mess, and you could track the back going back from like, I think I tracked back as far as like late 2017 the back four right up to the opening game of the world cup against france the back four was never the same in any two games not just consecutive over that period the back four was not the same in any two games period um that's just insane right and (laughs) and so how it obviously becomes really difficult to build up any continuity or confidence and then you know, he used he used players in that opening game against France, which obviously obviously colors a lot of U.S. fans' expectations for how the U.S. should fare against Korea because they saw that game, everybody saw that game, and Korea right. was, I mean, god awful um, in that game. And and you know, I, I'm the guy who before that game was going, you know, Korea, I could see Korea holding France to a draw. Um, and you know, people thought I was insane, and then I really looked insane after the result. But as soon as he, <laughs> as soon as I saw the squad, I was like, all right, well, there goes that. He, he, Yoon. Um, I mean, he could always, at the best of times, be characterized as a defensive coach. You know, defend and try to break out on the counter, and and that was definitely appropriate for Korea at a certain point in time. But if you look at, especially the last four years the level of talent has increased dramatically. WK League, the domestic league, has been around now for, I think, nine years. Mm-hmm. Um, you have now three players in FAWSL um, with uh, Ji Soyeon, of course, Cho Soyeon at West Ham, Egan at uh, Manchester City. You have a couple of players playing in Japan. There's been a lot of interest in, in other players um, that are there. They won the 2010 U-17 Women's World Cup, third place, 2010 uh, U20 World Cup, Women's World Cup. Um, they've just been developing some really good players. They're very technical, possession-oriented. Um, I mean, they can play. 
and you saw that in these two games. They came out and, and they could play. They could press. They could knock the ball around. He didn't adapt. He never adapted to that. So he was playing kind of the old style of we're nowhere near as good as the people that we're playing against, so we really just need to cling on for dear life and hope that we can hit them on the counter. Um, and against France in particular, I mean, when you he, – he put out such a defensive team and left out some key attacking players. It was like a message to France, we're not going to attack at all. And so France could throw numbers forward. And, you know, you had this back line that hadn't played together before, that had players that really, to be honest, had no business playing in a World Cup, weren't even included in this squad for these two games. Um, and it was just a hot mess. So coming into these two games, of course, there's a new coach, or rather an interim coach. Yeah. And, and what, did, what did you know about her game plan? So I interviewed her in, in Charlotte um, the day before the game, and it was great. I mean, she was she was surprisingly frank about the previous manager, um, especially from a cultural standpoint, a, a younger woman talking about an older male. So he was way too conservative. Um, you know, there's games like Nigeria. She quote she cited the Nigeria game, the second game after France at the World Cup, where game if you have to win a game, and we had to win that game, you got to go attack. You can't just sit back and defend. Um, so she said, I'm, you know, U.S. may be the best team in the world. However, we're not going to be scared of them. We're going to take the game to them. We're going to come out. We're going to attack. We're going to press. Um, we're going to play the way that I know we can play and take the game to them. And that's sure enough exactly what she did. Yeah, I mean, two very respectable results, 2-0 Thursday night and then a 1-1 draw Sunday with Korea getting on the scoreboard first. Yeah, um, and being the better team for large stretches, if, if we're being honest. Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course, you know, you've got two teams at very different times in their, in their schedules. Uh, you can totally see the exhaustion on, on the U S players, um, you know, long year, long season, and it's not over yet, but I'm so glad that this is the end of the victory tour, you know? Yeah. So none of them are required to be called up after this. Um, and at the same time, I'm glad that it was a worthy opponent where, you know, I, I know some fans might really love playing Haiti and creaming them 8-0 in, in a victory tour, but you get nothing out of that game, right? Right. Um, this was far more fun. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the coaches don't get anything. The players don't get anything. There's no development that comes from it. And it's, to me, not as exciting to watch. So that was kind of neat that, hey, Korea gets on the board, you know, um, especially following a very disappointing World Cup performance. And then Carly Lloyd comes back and, and equalizes. So, you know, the whole match is meaningful. And U.S. came so close to getting uh, the game winner, uh, you know, yeah. with the last minute that it was, you know, called offside. But it would just, it, it made it more exciting. Um, and, of course, they, we had that ridiculous red card. <laughs> the red card. For Stonewall Young, she was like, I don't know what the heck happened here. How did I get a red card? Yeah, I... I Still don't know how to explain that exactly other than uh, she accidentally left the field because she thought when the number went up for 22 that it was her, but it was actually off, yeah. like just McDonald or something. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, well, I, I like I, I liked these. I liked both of these games. Yeah. And, they, and I think, you know, people talk about the U.S. being tired, which absolutely they were. But by the same token, I mean, Korea, it was here under. um somewhat trying circumstances as well because they hired a new head coach in uh, in early September 
I want to say wow. late, late August, um, who was the head coach of uh, Hyundai Steel Red Angels, contrary to a certain announcer calling them Hyundai Red Steel. <laughs> which is not what they were in John Hyundai Steel Red Angels. So who had won the six previous championships and within days of him, him being hired, um, it emerged that he'd abused physically, you know, hit players um, in the past, verbal, verbally abusive. Um, and, you know, it was brave players stepped forward and said something because it's been going on for a while, as it turns out, and players are just too scared. And, you know, as often you see where you're not in a position of strength, somebody right because if you say something your, you're going to get cut from the team and that's, yeah, that's exactly. your livelihood yeah so he you know he, he denied it initially then you know he admitted it and so he had to resign so uh and then they went to the number two candidate on the list which was a foreign candidate and they couldn't agree on on salary so september 29th <laughs> you know just a matter of a few days before the game uh was the first game was to be played they went to hong and son who was coaching the reserve team and said, all right, can you be the interim for these games? So she took over September 29th. You know, wow. had like one practice in Korea. They flew to the U.S. September 29th? Were, yes. Oh, my gosh. They flew to the, they flew to the U.S. Um, they had like two practices there. You know, they were jet lagged in that first game against against uh, U.S. and Charlotte. You can kind of see like in the second half, they just ran out of steam because it was fired. Plus, it was hot. I mean, in Charlotte, it was like absurdly hot. And they were practicing in the daytime, as was the U.S., but – you know, they're not used to that at all right now. Um, right. So it was, you know, coach had like three days to train, three, four days to train the team before the first game. They're jet lagged. They're hot and tired. I mean, and, you know, so they they had their own set of challenges as well. Yet uh, I think, you know, the, the coaching staff's ability to transform the team into something that looks like I expect them to look rather than how they looked at the World Cup is really commendable and, and remarkable. And you got to be at uh, the game in Charlotte. Like you said, you, you interviewed the coach and saw some practices. Yes. Yeah. Um, thoughts on, on what you saw that, uh, that game Thursday, since you're actually there in person compared to Sunday's game, which we've kind of talked about. Uh, in terms of how they performed. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, you know, like, like I said, she uh, she indicated that she was going to do. I mean, they they came out pressing right off the bat and really put the U.S. under tremendous pressure. And I think the U.S. clearly just wasn't ready for it, and so they were committing mistake after mistake. And there were a couple chances early on, I think, for Korea to uh, uh, to maybe get on the scoreboard um, had they connected the passes, the final passes. But uh, but the U.S. I mean, the U.S. defense clearly was was stout enough to kind of get them under control over the course of the match. And then somewhere around the 60th minute, Korea just flat out ran out of steam and all that, you know, running around pressing started to drop off. And you started to see, especially when Chris and press came on for the U S um, the U S hitting them on the counter attack and creating a lot of chances. Um, but it was, you know, it was on the, on the back of you know a few days and jet lag and, and whatnot. It was a pretty, I thought a pretty stout performance on their part, nowhere near as good as uh, in Chicago, but, but yeah, I mean, the, the way they pressed and the way they, they really kind of harried the U.S. and forced them into a lot of mistakes, uncharacteristic mistakes, I thought was pretty impressive. Well, and then you think about coming off that game in Charlotte, um, you know, with the heat and turning around pretty quickly, traveling to Chicago, 
and it's an where early it's, game. Where it was forty degrees, where it was forty degrees cooler. <laughs> yeah, um, and and then it's and then it's a pretty early kickoff, so that that's pretty yeah. tight turnaround, and yeah. and and having a pretty solid performance. Um, I mean, how much squad rotation did they see? Um, from starting lineup to starting lineup. Um, let's see. There were so there was one change at center back. There was. Um, they moved John Selgi, who usually plays for a club side as, as a winger, but the, the Korean team is usually used her as a left back. Mm-hmm. Against the first game, she played as a winger. Second game, she played as left back, so they made that change. Um, one change in the, the middle of the midfield and a change. So four, four changes. So three new three players that didn't start, I want to say, against uh, – no, sorry, including the goalkeeper. Four players that didn't start um, in the first game um, and then five positional changes. So some some rotation and some and rotation, and, yeah. and of course with a friendly healthy amount of of subbing. So so going into Olympic qualifying, which is coming up in early spring, um, you know what do you expect to see from South Korea? What do you think their chances are for getting one of the Asian slots? I, th- I mean, generally, I think they have a, a pretty good chance. We'll, we'll obviously have to see who gets hired as the head coach. They're starting a new process now. Hong um, and Sun, who led the team for. Uh, these two games they told me she's not a candidate but she will be the assistant assistant coach to whoever gets hired Interesting. and because of the issues they have with Chan Chal they're not sure they're not confident I mean that, that's almost sort of a cultural thing to a certain degree over a certain age um, huh. in a position of power so you know their their comment was any other candidate on the male side might have the same problems so they're going to hire a foreign coach which will be interesting. Um, so that that's going on. That process is going on right now. I mean, more generally speaking, though, you've got eight teams. Um, the draw is October 18th. There'll be two groups of four, one played in China, one in Korea and Jeju Island. Um, and it'll be pot and one. There's four pots. One team will be drawn from each pot for each group. So pot one is Australia and North Korea. Pot two is China and South Korea. Pot three is Vietnam and Thailand. Pot four is Myanmar and the other team the philippines so you know and then the top two teams so they'll play games february 3rd 6th and 9th the top two teams in each group will advance to a home and away series in march march 6th and 11th where first place a group will play second place b group and vice versa b1 versus a2 and the winners of those two home and away legs will get the two spots so i mean you you would feel you would assume that the four teams that will advance will be North Korea, China, South Korea, and Australia. So then it kind of depends. I think I feel pretty good with the right coach that South Korea can beat North Korea or China over two legs. Australia is obviously a lot tougher. So it'll, it'll just boil down to how the, how the, um, the draw um, ends up going and, and who they end up playing in that final round. And of course, this is a much better format than what we saw yes. for 2016, where it was yeah. basically survival of the fittest, what, five games in 10 days. Yeah, like one one group in Japan, yeah, like five games in 10 days. And, you know, yeah, exactly. It was it was insane. It was insane. This is a much, much, this is the third round. They've already had two rounds. Um, the big four of Korea, Australia, um, North Korea, and, and China join here in the third round. Um, so definitely a much better way to do it than, than the way they did it four years ago. 
Now, um, only once have we had a, a Korean player in NWSL. Right. Uh, and that was that was pretty briefly Ganjaul. Uh, Jungo, yeah. Oh, so I, I flipped it. Um, in 2015, of course, she was signed before Paul Riley came on board at Western New York Flash. And then uh, and I she can't was, remember she, she was, was She was badly injured. No, she was yeah. badly injured. So she played a couple of games, looked good, but got badly injured. And so she was let go to go home. So do you think, uh, you know, we could see a Korean player in NWSL in the future, in the near future? I'm doing my best. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm trying. I'm trying. Um, I mean, so, I mean, and that's sort of part of the, the growth, right? I mean, four years ago at the World Cup, there's only one player, G.S.O. Young, playing overseas. Um, right. You have a bunch. You have a bunch now. I mean, the, some of the best players are in England now. Uh, and, and that sort of, you know, when you have teammates in England, it's, it becomes more like John, John Selgi uh, said this past week that, you know, she used to want to go to the U.S. You know, she always heard the U.S. was the best soccer nation um, for women's soccer in the world. But now with three players already in England, she's, she's really more interested in going to England. Right. So I, I think, you know, that'll, that'll sort of maybe snowball a little bit. But there's still, um, you know, there's still another three or so players that, that I would say could play in, in WSL today. So it's just a matter of a team being interested them being at the right point in, in their contract with their teams in, in Korea and then putting the whole thing together. But I'm trying, I'm trying. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we best. know, yeah, when, whenever we eventually see an announcement that, you know, X NWSL team has signed X player from South Korea, we can all go, yeah, hell did that. <laughs> Especially if it's, if it's Houston, you will know for sure I did it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Hal, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. And of course, um, keep up all the good work covering uh, soccer, that, you know, the information that we can't find anywhere else. Thanks. Always a pleasure. All right, time to wrap it up with the back four, first and foremost. This weekend is the final weekend of the end of your cell regular season. What's at stake? Well, we got to figure out who's going to play whom in the semifinals. Portland, Seattle, jockeying for position. So the two games that are most important are Orlando Rain and Portland, Washington. Those two determine the semifinal matchups. The only way that the Rain can finish third is if they beat Orlando and Portland loses or draws to the Spirit. Any other result means that the semifinal matchups will be North Carolina Rain and Chicago Portland. Hope that makes sense. And as for the other two games, you still want to watch them because there are a few records on the line. If North Carolina can score three versus Sky Blue, they'll set a new league single-season record for goals. And if Nicole Barnhart can get a clean sheet against Houston, she would tie Adriana French's shutout record from 2017. And if Christine Naren plays for Houston, she will become the first NWSL player to play 150 regular season games, meaning that she has missed only eight regular season games across seven seasons. Of course, all, all games stream live on the Yahoo Sports app and on the Yahoo Sports website. And if you're not in the USA and want to watch the games, I would highly recommend figuring out how to use a VPN so you can access Yahoo Sports for free. That's the easiest way to watch the games. 
And speaking of the semifinals, both of those games will air live on Sunday, October 20th on ESPN2. And then the semifinal winners will meet the following Sunday and carry North Carolina in the NWSL Championship. So you better start making your travel plans now and buy your tickets. Tickets for the game are on sale now at nwslsoccer.com slash championship. The final will air live on ESPN. And for those of you heading to carry for the NWSL Championship weekend, you definitely want to sign up for WOSICO. And you're probably wondering, what is WOSICO? Stands for Women's Soccer Conference. This is an event I've held in the past. I wasn't able to hold it at the 2018 final, but I did have a WOSICO at the 2017 and 2016 finals. Uh, go to KeeperNotes.com, click on WOSICO, read all about it. It's a fun, casual afternoon for women's soccer fans, whether you're new to being a WOSO fan or you've been following for years. It, it should be a lot of fun. So go to KeeperNotes.com and check that out. Last but not least, the U.S. women. There's two more friendlies coming up once the NWSL season is over. They will play Sweden on November 7th and then Costa Rica on November 10th. Those friendlies are not part of the Victory Tour. The Victory Tour has concluded. And, of course, they'll be the first coaches, first games under the new head coach, whoever that may be. I don't know. It could even be an interim if U.S. soccer hasn't made a decision yet. Uh, so not all of the World Cup players will necessarily be called up for those games. And I've heard that there will be a December camp for the U.S. Women's National Team, most likely what's called an identification camp, uh, you know, not playing any public friendlies, just bringing in a lot of players, ideally from the league or from the U23 team or even from the U20s, um, possibly college players to just uh, identify as talent uh, going into the Olympic year. All right, that's it for this episode of The Mix Zone. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to everyone who shares this with a friend or tweets about it. And many thanks to PK Ray for stepping in once again to help out with production. But now she's anybody's girl. Well, you know she's anybody's girl.